spouts off when it uh, blows up, uh, 3,700 gallons at least, if not up to 8,500 gallons. It is super hot water, 204 degrees temperature. The steam is 350 degrees. Old faithful. If you've ever been there, you know what a powerful display it puts on. Old Faithful faithfully erupts about every 90 minutes. But I'm here to announce this morning that our God is faithful every minute of every day. We have a faithful God. You talk about old faithful. God is faithful for sure. Faithfulness is a quality that we all can admire. And God admires it too. In fact, God even not only admires it, He requires it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards, managers, it is required that they be found faithful, and we will be found out. And when we're found out, will we be faithful? Now, I don't care this morning how much ability you or I have, what, uh, how wonderful or drawing our personality might be, our intelligence is. If we cannot be depended upon, what good are we? Now, we might have somebody at work who has, boy, I mean, they're the best salesman or they're the best mechanic or the best worker. But if they never show up, what good is it? Dependability. And over these last week, we have talked about what the Bible speaks of, that God is faithful. Jesus is our model for faithfulness. We've seen in Scripture that the Old Testament word most often means loyalty. The New Testament word means faithfulness. It means honesty, trustfulness. It means reliance. It means someone that God and others can count on. And so that might be the best working definition we have, that faithfulness is someone that God and others can count on. It is someone who is true to the Word of God. It is somebody who is true to the name of God. If I were to ask you, name five people who are spiritually loyal people. Name five people who are faithful. I mean, you really have no doubt about their faithfulness. You have no doubt about where their heart is, where their mind is. You have no doubt if they'll be faithful to what they say. Would you be one of those? I hope I would. I want to be a faithful person. And I know today everybody has their idea of what's wrong with America. Some say it's this, some say it's that. Uh, recently, Gallup did a poll, and uh, they found out that 40% of Americans, these are the ones who actually uh, answered this survey, 40% of Americans say that in their business and in their life, they uh, shortchange people, customers in their work or in the money or whatever. They cheat in examinations. In fact, cheating in examinations now is absolutely so rampant that they have to go through extreme measures to uh, make sure that somebody doesn't cheat, including putting cameras on their eyes, if you can imagine, so that they don't look away or look at something. It's just absolutely incredible. Mr. Gallup said this about this study. He said, in my estimation, as a scientific researcher, now listen, here's somebody who uh, puts his finger on the pulse of America regularly. He said, it is my opinion that America is in a crisis and it is not a political crisis, it is a spiritual and moral crisis. That is a secular, uh, 
pollster who is saying what we have in America is a spiritual problem. It is a faithfulness problem. And that's why church is the most essential entity in our communities. And you don't close down essential things. Why would you close down a hospital? I mean, people need it. And why would you close down a church? We need a church. Are you a faithful person? Will, when we stand before the Lord, will he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I've been blessed to have several degrees, and uh, I have a, a, um, a degree in theology, a THG. I have an honorary degree called a Doctor of Divinity, and, but, uh, and I'm grateful for those, and I'm certainly not ashamed of that. They come after lots of prayer and hard work, but I will tell you this, the greatest degree I have I hope I have someday, is the WD. Well done. I want to have that well done, thou good and faithful servant. I know that uh, there are so many to hear this morning. You're going to get that degree. In Scripture, there are two churches that are lifted up as faithful churches. And so I think it'd be wise to look at them and say, you know what, if these were faithful churches, what can we learn from them? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about the church at Smyrna. This week, the church at Philadelphia from the book of Revelation chapter 3. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. If you would, please join us online. Pray with us. Bow your head right now and let's cry out to God. God, we need you. Lord, we want to be a faithful church. We want to be faithful people. God, I want someone to say, that was old faithful right there. Old pastor. Boy, he was old faithful. I pray, God, that you would just help us to be faithful to your word, faithful to your name, faithful to the cause of Christ. And I pray that you will bless these folks for their faithfulness and being here this morning, their courageousness, Lord, just to get out and get out in this weather and get out in the conditions of our country and be here. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verse 7 all the way to verse 13, although we'll not be looking at all those verses, but let's read them together and uh, let's read it out loud, uh, please. And if you don't have a King James in front of you, you can have the overhead or get your Bible app out there. All right, uh, ready, begin. Verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. And thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold thou fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no more go out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right. A beautiful passage. I love to read the Word of God out loud, don't you? And I I love to hear it read out loud. I just, I love it when my wife or others just read the Bible. I just, I could just sit there for hours and have just listening to the Word of God. 
Now, these are letters. There are seven of them in chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation. They are letters from Christ. They are to the churches. They are given, however, to the angel at each church, which just means messenger. Seven deliverers, seven men, seven people take these messages to the pastor of each church, and then the pastor delivers a message. And by the way, that's why I personally like the word message rather than sermon. Nothing wrong with the word sermon, but sometimes it kind of just sounds like some little speech. Whereas a message, I like that. You get a message from God, and then you deliver a message for God. And I will say this, if you are in the ministry, and if you're listening, and if you're not willing and ready to give a message from God, then you need to go get another job. Because we want to hear from God. I want a message from God. I, the worst thing I can think of is for you to come here or for you to take your time and not get a message from God. And I will tell you, you may like the message or you may not like the message, but I will promise you this. I put in my time <laughs> on my face before God and in the Word of God. And so I hope that you do get a message. Let's go to verse number 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, just in case anybody's wondering, we're not talking about that town in America on the East Coast, all right? This is a town in Turkey today, which was Asia Minor back then. It is pretty much the most eastern of all cities in that area. As such, it was on a very much of a trade route, sort of like the Silk Road, if you've ever heard of the Silk Road. It is that place that between Italy and between the Far East, people would come through. It was uh, a very Greek area, even though it was, uh, would be later in the Ottoman Empire. It was uh, a city of, that was very busy, and not a huge city, not a huge church by any means, but it was a, um, it was a prolific city that would uh, send its uh, wares, and especially its culture and its education and its very Greekness to all places. It says, to the angel at Philadelphia. Now, these were real cities, real churches, but as you read through them, as so much of the book of Revelation, it's very sign-oriented. I mean, it's, it's symbolic as well. And so some have tried to make them uh, uh, eras of church history. I don't really think they're eras, but I do sense that they are different churches, and seven of them, the word seven, of course, uh, or the number seven is the idea for completeness. So we get a complete look at the church. Unfortunately, five are, have some issues, a couple really bad, and then two of them, however, are just wonderful churches, different characteristics, but wonderful churches. It says, these things saith he. Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about God. God is going to introduce himself. God sort of gives a divine resume here. And when God introduces himself, his name, he always introduces himself with titles, because God's name is who He is. If I was to say husband, that says a lot. It's not just a term. It's meaning I've, I'm a person who has entered into a non-breakable covenant with somebody. I have uh, one uh, wife, a female, uh, who we live together. And so the word husband just has a lot of meaning to it. And that's what God is saying here. I'm God. There's a lot of meaning in that. In case you're wondering what that is, first of all, he said, I am holy. 
Now, he's going to give four names here, and all four are beautiful because, and by the way, the only place he ever gives these four distinct names, although they're also verified in other passages. In four different ways, he said, I am your God. I'm your God, kind of like almost for the Philadelphian church, I want you to know something. First of all, I am holy. Now, nobody is holy but God. He is exclusively, absolutely holy. Now, humans can be moral. They can be ethical. They can be respectable. And humans can practice holiness. But true holiness only belongs to God and God alone. Throughout Scripture, He is called the Holy One. For example, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, To whom then will you liken me? The prophet said, who is like God? Come on now. Don't anybody imagine that they're like God or Baal's like God or Ashtoreth is like God. No, nobody compares to Jehovah God. I've heard people say things like, well, Allah, whatever you call it, it's still God. Oh, no, it's not. God is holy. He is unique and special because he never sins. Only God is unstained. Only God is unblemished. He is a holy and righteous God. Even the demons know this. Now, a lot of us don't know that, and certainly this unsaved world doesn't know this. You remember in Mark chapter 1 and verses 23 and 24, the demons there were crying out through a man, and they said, the unclean spirit said, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Here, the demons are looking at the man Christ Jesus and saying, you are holy, meaning you're God because only God is holy. It's sad, but very much we understand how obvious that even demons know more than Hollywood knows. Recently, one of these streaming devices and streaming services portrayed Jesus over this last year. They, it was a hit, uh, one of their hit little series, portrayed Jesus as a homosexual. Even uh, the demons know better than that. They know he's not anything but holy. He is a holy God. And so God introduces himself as holy. Now, if that is the case, and since that's the case, he's saying, I'm holy, and I know everything about you, and yet I feel like you're doing a good job. Now, that's a pretty good compliment. If somebody holy says to the church, you're doing good, then that's good. Now, if somebody who was out of their mind, well, <laughs> may not be so much, but that'd be like... Uh, arguably the, the greatest of all time quarterback, Tom Brady, saying, hey, Tim, you can throw that ball pretty good. Boy, if he said that to me, I'd say, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> we had a little family get together this week, and I tried to throw a, a softball and try to hit something. And it went about four feet and just dropped. I thought, oh, my goodness, what happened to that arm over the years, you know? But uh, I don't know what happened. But, you know, but God is real, and when he says something like, hey, you're doing a good job, if the Holy One says you're good, that's good. Then notice the second thing that he talks about himself in verse 7. He says, he that is true, he that is true, he alone is true. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number 6, I am the truth, <laughs> the truth. Now, there's no alternative truths. 
You're going down to University Pacific, if you could go there. <laughs> you go there into the philosophy class or just about any class. It's always amazing to me how that even in chemistry they talk about homosexuality or whatever, you know. But if you would go into one of those classes, you would find them and they would say, well, there's your truth and then there's my truth. <laughs> my friend, that is ridiculous. That's like saying two plus two is four, but it might be four and a half or it might be three and a half. Depends on what your truth is. No, it's always four. It is truth. And that's why God says, I am true. No, there's not alternative truths. That's why Paul said, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one truth. God's standard of truth is absolute. And that's why he's telling this church, I'm telling you, you have got a God who is truth incarnate. And that's why Jesus said, I am the truth. What an encouragement to be able to say to this church, I am true and I am proud of what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean the church was perfect. There's nobody on this earth that's perfect. Look what it says in Psalm 130, verse 3. If thou, Lord, shouldst ever mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who would stand? So he wasn't telling the church, you're perfect and you never sin. Now, as far as I know, none of us here in this room are perfect. Now, some of you are pretty close to perfect. I mean, you're just amazing. But uh, I don't know that I'm that perfect. But I know one thing, God is perfect. But what it says here is if God would mark iniquities, he understands where we're coming from. He understands who we are. And so God is holy. He is true. So he's giving this resume about himself, and he's telling this church, he said, now, if you need something true, you got me. If you need something totally uh, holy and without sin, you got me. And I think that's one thing that people always wonder, you know, especially in this day and age, people wonder, you know, you can hear a guy like me preach, and you say, I wonder if he's got any skeletons in his closet, or I wonder what's in the background. And, you know, we always kind of have a little... Uh, you know, I'll give this a little bit of time and thinking about it. Well, I will tell you, I've been hanging around here for 40 years and um, I'm not sinless, but I, I will promise you, I don't have a little girlfriend or a boyfriend or anything like that on the sides, you know, but that's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, I am true. You can trust me. You can, uh, I promise you, you can trust who I am. And then he says a third thing. He said, I am, I have the key of David. Look what he said. I have the key of David. Now, this is a very Jewish thing to say, of course, but those who study scripture know that there are some tremendous promises, covenants in scripture. We have the Abrahamic covenant, right? That God promises to a special people, the Jews, a land, a seed, and a blessing. You remember the Noahic covenant, and how did God symbolize that covenant with a great big uh, rainbow that was as seen from the sky? It's a rainbow, is a circle, and the circle has no beginning and no ending. It is a never-ending covenant that I will never again flood this world. Uh, my wife and I were in Colorado just a few uh, days back, and. Uh, we went by this beautiful sandstones there, and uh, there they had uh, triceratops, 
were right embedded right there in, the, um, in that sandstone. I thought, man, isn't that amazing? And, uh, of course, they had the wrong caption there. They said it was, I think, 50 million years ago. This thing, well, we happen to know it was about 6,000 years ago, you know, at a time a little bit after, or before that, or after that, I guess you'd say, 5,000 years ago, during Noah's flood. And, uh, but folks, um, that Noahic covenant was that God would never again flood the world like He did. There are several covenants in Scripture. One of the most profound is the David covenant sometimes pronounced the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant, First Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, it says that from this day forward, every king of Israel will be a direct descendant of David. Now that means that God just gave him that covenant, unconditional covenant as the Abrahamic covenant. And God gave him that covenant. It was a kingly covenant. So when Jesus said to this church, I have the keys of David, he is saying, I am sovereign. I am, I am king. And as king, I can decree things and I can make them happen. I have keys. And when I open up a door, it opens. No king ever went to a door and didn't open for him. <laughs> Not in his kingdom. That door's going to be open. That door's going to be shut. That's what Jesus was saying here. I have the right to give you blessings, and nobody can take that away from you. That's what it says in Psalm 35 and verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad. That favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually. Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, if you listen to the fake news, which I don't recommend, but if you listen to the fake news and you listen to the liberal theologians, they will portray Jesus and Christians as negative, kind of shrew type people, you know, that are always against things. <laughs> Here we see very clearly that God is not a God like that. It says God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. God's best day is when he can pour out his favor on us. God loves to pour out his favor. And here the message to the church is and the pastor. Can you believe the church are all sitting there? And the pastor says, I've got a message from Jesus. I mean, this actually happened. It wasn't, this is not just all symbolic. This actually happened. This brother pastor, we don't know who he is, but he's, he's nameless, but his position was amazing. He stood in front of these people. I'm sure these people are all thinking, oh man, what's God going to say next? God said, I got a news for you. I've got the keys of David and I have a blessing for you. And then look what he says in verse seven, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth, meaning God's blessing upon this church was something that nobody could do anything about. And I will tell you, I thank God to know that the, the blessings of Jesus, I don't, I don't know where people would be without God in their life. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I can't even imagine waking up in the morning and not having a clue about God, about salvation, about heaven, about blessings, about favor. To just wake up thinking, another day to work, another day to eat, another day to buy something, sell something, another day to do something. I don't know how people make it without Jesus Christ. 
Here he's saying, you've got the blessing of God on your life. Isn't that good to wake up in the morning and know that the one who has the key to blessings is cares about me? Hallelujah. I thank God for that. The late Ravi Zacharias told this true story that was given by the daughter of Joseph Stalin. Stalin, of course, was part of that great Marxist and terrible uh, regime in Russia, that atheistic uh, uh, regime, uh, militant atheistic regime. It is said that as Stalin lay dying, plagued with terrifying hallucinations, he suddenly sat up halfway in bed, clenched his fist towards God in heaven, and then fell back on his pillow dead. The incredible irony about that story is this, that at one time Joseph Stalin was actually a seminary student preparing for the ministry and got a bitter heart and just got a hatred for all religion. His name Stalin actually wasn't his given name. It was a name that just was uh, pronounced upon him by his uh, friends. It actually means the word steel. And they nicknamed him that because uh, he was so hard. He was uh, ruthless even, but I think, sadly, it's an indication of his heart as well. Cold as steel. Oh, God. I would tell you one thing. If I didn't have God, that's the thing how I would do it too, but I want, I'm glad I have God in my life, the blessings of God. And so uh, this church, first of all, they get all these wonderful names about God, that God is holy and He's true and that God uh, has the, the, the keys of David in His hand. All right, now. Let's go to the things that defined their faithfulness. Why was this such a faithful church? And how can we emulate that in our life? Well, let's go to verse number eight. First of all, they acted spiritually. They were a spiritually minded church, not a glorified country club, not just another civic group. They were spiritual. Look at verse eight. I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And here's the phrase. For thou hast a little strength. Thou hast a little strength. That word strength is the word Greek word dunamis. You've heard it before. If you've been in church months, you know that the Greek New Testament has many, several words for strength. This one is a powerful word, and that's exactly what it means. It means we get our word, uh, the word dunamis, we get our word dynamite from. And so God says, you are a dynamite church. He's not saying you don't have any strength. He's just saying you have little strength because you're basically a small church. Small town, small church, but man, you carry a power. You are an outsized power for who you are. Never feel like you are inadequate. Never feel like you're not doing something. No, he's saying you are a dynamite church. Reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He said, fear not little flock. (laughs) He didn't say, fear not, big giant army of people. No, he's saying, you're just a little flock, aren't you? But it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thank God that even though we're a little flock, God has all the resources, all the things for us Compared with the wilderness of this world, God said, it doesn't make any difference what anybody wants. I'm the good shepherd, and I'm going to give you things because you're my little flock. 
Philadelphia was not the biggest city. It was no Rome. It was not the biggest church. It was not the richest congregation. But you know, it's amazing how that sometimes out of the smallest, the weakest, can come some of the greatest spiritual power. I tell you what, we have seen such things happen in this ministry. I'm just so grateful for transformed lives. A man told me this week, he said, Pastor, honestly, I have no idea where I would be if I had not found this ministry 10 or so years ago. He said, I just, I can't even imagine. I mean, just, I am so grateful. And his, he's gotten married. He's just such a, a godly young father. I'm just so grateful for him. And that's God. And that makes us as ministers just so happy because we're grateful when the ministry changes lives. It really just makes a huge difference. And because, and that happens when you have spiritual power. It doesn't happen because you have slick programs or great creative content. All those are nice. I mean, nothing wrong with them. But we need spiritual power, Holy Spirit's power. That's what changes lives. Where does faithfulness come from then? First and foremost, it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Okay, these are the things, this is the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Love. Boy, we need the Holy Spirit to be, to be a loving person, don't we? Amen. We need the Holy Spirit to have joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and then faith. That word is actually faithfulness. And so it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. Ah, now we're finding something. God is saying to this church, if you want to be faithful, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, where does this come from? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, don't be drunk with wine, which is not a bad idea. Don't be drunk with wine. That's excess but be filled with the Spirit. It will, don't, don't get your buzz from alcohol. Get your buzz from the Spirit of God. Let Him fill you and change the way you talk and the way you act and the way you walk. Let the Spirit of God fill you. What will happen? Verse 19, you'll speak to yourselves, not only to yourself, but among yourselves, You'll sing psalms, you know, from Scripture, the actual psalms, hymns, which are like doctrinal songs, and spiritual songs, which are like uh, testimony songs. You'll speak these things because when you're filled with the Spirit, you sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Only when the Holy Spirit fills you will your heart be filled with joy. A lady asked me, Young lady asked me this week how I was, that I said, I am wonderful. Thank you. She said, well, why are you so wonderful? And I said, I got up this morning. I had the joy of spending time in the blessed word of God. I had time in prayer, had a sweet little time with my wife and ate a little breakfast. I said, I am so grateful just to be alive and be here. And she just said, boy, that's, that's really great. <laughs> and I'm sure it kind of blew her away. Who, you know, what old guy says that to her, you know, but folks, that's what, that's what we want. We want people to know that if I'm full of joy, as it says, if I'm full of peace, it's because the Holy Spirit did that. I'm filled with the Spirit. That's where power comes from. That's what Isaiah says in chapter 44 and verse three, I pour water on him 
that is thirsty. If you're thirsty, God will pour water on you. Floods upon the dry ground. You say, well, is this talking about the Holy Spirit? Yes, look at the next phrase. I will pour my spirit on my seed and my blessing upon my offspring. Are you thirsty? Now, you're probably not thirsty if you're full, but if you're thirsty, <laughs> our uh, well went out of our house yesterday. And I mean, the second that thing went out, I got thirsty. I don't know why that thing went out, but it, it, the minute it went out, I got so thirsty. And my precious daughter, Abigail, said, Dad, I haven't washed my hair for three days, and tomorrow is church. I said, honey, here we are. We are dying of thirst, and you're worrying about your hair. And uh, but anyway, so we've got big old buckets around our house full of water. And I don't know. What, you just pray for your pastor. But, um, the fact is, I mean, folks, I got thirsty. And I just went over, and we got a bucket. I just got some water. I just had to have some water. Because when you're thirsty, you have to be filled. And that's what God is saying here. Medical... Science says that our body, uh, it is water that determines our vitality. It is water that determines our strength and our energy. The human body is two-thirds water. It says if you, they say, if you lose just 2% of your body's water supply. Listen to this. 2%. If you lose 2% of your body's water supply, your energy decreases by 20%. If you have a 10% decrease in water, you are unable to walk and if for some reason you were to lose 20% of your bodily fluids, you'd die. That's why God very wisely likened the Spirit to water. If you want energy, you need water. It says, I pour water on him that is thirsty. Are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for His Word? Or are we thirsty to you know, get here and get that, folks? If you can't get thirsty about God, then you're not going to get filled. you got to get thirsty. Wake up in the morning thirsty for God and thirsty for Him. And I can't wait for church. I can't wait to get into the Word. I can't wait. There are times in my life I know I'm in the Spirit, and there are other times when I kind of know probably I'm not. But I, I love it when I have that sense when I lay down, Lord, I wish I didn't have to sleep because I've had such a good time with you today, but I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> I love it. I love telling the Lord, I'll see you in the morning. And so many times this week, I just get the word out, start slowly, you know, and drinking my coffee and I'm just reading it and I'm praying it. And, but pretty soon, I know it. I know when he comes. I know when he comes and just fills me. And boy, that water just washes, fills me up. I'm so energized because I'm back up to where I'm supposed to be. I, I'm not dehydrated spiritually. God says, church, thank God that you're spirit-filled because that's what makes you faithful. Number two, if we want to be faithful, we must follow obediently. Look what it says, thou hast kept my word. This was a Bible-believing church. How can you be a Bible-believing church? Jesus did it this way. you got to love me. John 14, 23, in the final hours of his earthly ministry, said, if you want to show me love, if a man love me, he keeps my words. You've got to keep the words of Jesus. 
You've got to be obedient to the word. Thank God for an obedient church. Thank God for a church that loves the word of God. And I will tell you for the most part, throughout my 40 years of ministry, that has been a characteristic of our church. And I will tell you this year, 2020, with all of its craziness, you folks have stepped up your game. I'm so grateful for you and thankful for you. Sadly, however, I know that during this time where there has been unjust restrictions put on the ministries of God, incredible to me, unbelievable, that is perfectly fine to be for hundreds of people to sit in a casino for 24 hours, but you can't sit in a church for one hour, inside of a church for one hour. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But I will say this, that uh, sadly, those restrictions apparently have whisked away a few of our precious little lambs. I'm not sure yet, but, and I will say this, and I very publicly have no doubt saying this, that for any government official who participated in the destroying of the faith of a precious little child, of God. The Bible said it would be better for a millstone to be hanged about their neck and to be cast in the depths of the sea than to hurt one of these little ones. And I personally hold them accountable. For them to do that to a church of God, for people who need Christ, for our community, they need God in their life. For them to say, you can't go to church and you can't read your Bible and you can't sing in church. Unbelievable. Who would do such a thing? But it's perfectly fine to drink and gamble. I'm telling you folks, whoa, whoa, whoa to those people that do something like that. And yet God is saying to this church, you are an obedient church. And I thank God for this obedient church. The home church is an obedient group. In fact, in scripture, the word faithful is actually uh, several times uh, the same word as truth. It is the Hebrew word emet. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Thy law is the truth, or thy law is faithful. You know, God's record of science is absolute. God's record of history is absolute. It is faithful. Man's record of history is not. God's is. It's true. It's faithful. It's atrocious recently that our state schools now are considering this latest push of humanism, socialism. The New York Times recently put out a new type of uh, teaching called the 1619 Project. The idea is that U.S. history actually begins in 1619, not what the truth is from history. And that America was built on corrupt principles, corrupt principles like slavery. Now, let's just be clear, folks. We all know that there were instances of slavery in our past, and it is an appalling part of our nation's history. But you cannot say, when you read the source documents, and when you read the original documents of those that came over on the Mayflower, the Mayflower Compact, Compact the Constitution, when you read those, you cannot say that that is corrupt. My friend, that is as godly as you can imagine. Those are godly principles. God's way 
is the right way. That's why it says in Psalm 33 and verse 4, the word of the Lord is right. His works are done in truth. And we ought to have right words and right things, and we ought to base our decisions on God's Word. And that's what Jesus was saying. Thank God for this church. You are a Bible-based church. Recently, a study was done by Barna, and they said that by a three-to-one margin, 64 to 22 percent, truth, adults say that truth is always relative to a person's situation. And that is even more lopsided among the millennials. Basically, here's what they said. They said that uh, it's not what's right, but it's what feels right at the moment. When they ask people if they made the Bible, their decision process, a very small percentage. Well, no wonder we have a world we live in because we don't have even truth. We don't have a commonality of truth. Back 200 years ago, it was that way. They followed obediently. And here we are. We stand today with a country that is so need of a fresh love of God, which is evidenced by our love for truth. They acted spiritually. They followed obediently. And number three, they stood loyally. Notice what it says in the last part of verse 8. Thou hast not denied my name. You didn't deny me. Now, apparently, they were getting some pushback. There were people coming after them. Now, we know a little bit about it because we read it right there. It's called the synagogue of Satan. (laughs) We talked about that last week. Wow, that's a talk about stepping on some toes. God said, there's a, there's a church of Satan out there. Woo, man, that's some strong preaching. He said, there's a church of Satan. That wasn't mean they were taking goats, you know, and killing them on an altar and taking the blood and making a little pentagram. That's not what it's meaning. What it's meaning is they are religious people who are taking their culture and religion over scripture. And he said they call themselves Jews when in reality they're not true Jews. They don't have the circumcision of the heart. That's just they're, all their rights and rules are coming on the outside. And what he was simply saying is that you folks have stood for God, you have stood for the truth, and you have stood for the fact that Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. And folks, Christianity is a relationship. And that's what he's saying here. You stood for me. You were loyal to me. And I can tell you it has been my privilege of having a great host of loyal people. I thank God for my loyal dad. My dad was so loyal. He often would call me and he would be there to support me. My mom, my wife, Lynette, Pauline, they've always had my back. My children, I thank God for them. They stand up for my Bible-based decisions. And they help clarify when I've made some misstatements. And boy, I've sure made some misstatements, I'll tell you. I sense that uh, more clearly now that we have this uh, speech to text, you know, on the phone. And I'll speak something and then I go back and correct it thinking, oh my goodness, that is crazy. And uh, I realize that I misspeak. But sometimes it's not misstatements that make people get weird. It's mishearing. I remember one um, dear brother, he just, he was beside himself at what he felt like he heard in the message. I mean, he just couldn't believe it. And so it was such a strange thing. I said, well, let's check it back. So I had the technicians go back over it. And they, I said, could you please find this little situation? And they went back and said, it, was, it is absolutely nowhere. 
Now, I don't know what happened, but somehow in the service, that man was sitting there, and I mean, some demon started preaching to him. And he thought, I don't know what happened, but I mean, it just was absolutely not there. It is misstatements. Uh huh. <laughs> it is, sadly, it is, I will admit to that. It is mishearing often. <laughs> and sometimes it's just plain misunderstanding. Oh, they heard it right, just don't understand it. I remember telling one time we had made a little decision about something and some ministry thing. And we, and I, I use the word we, it is now. Uh, indefinite. We're not going to ever, we don't know. We're just indefinite. We weren't quite sure if we'd ever do it again, but it was indefinite. Later on, he, this poor brother, he just got all uh, upset. He said, well, you, you said that we were going to do it again. I said, I didn't say that. He said, well, you said indefinite. I said, indefinite means we may or may not. He said, oh, okay. And, uh, so I've realized over the years that sometimes, yes, it's misstatement, sometimes it's mishearing, and sometimes it's misunderstanding. But I thank God for loyal people who seem to somehow make it through all those things. And if you know of somebody who's heard a, they misunderstood or there's a misstatement, man, just have them come alongside. If they got a good attitude, I'll talk to them. Now, if they don't have a good attitude, attitude, they'll need to wait a while. But uh, if they come on in lovingly, I'll certainly talk to them. Thank God for faithful people. My dear friend who's in heaven now, uh, Eugene Hayden, boy, what a loyal friend. Pastor Mike, man, I'll tell you one thing, I know he's got my back. And our pastors, Pastor Lou, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Nat, our deacons, amazing deacons, the volunteers in our church and the, the church members. I'll tell you one thing. You talk about a loyal group. I am so grateful for this church. And if I was, uh, if I was Jesus writing the book of Revelation, I would say the same thing about the church of Lodi Stockton. You, are a, you stood. You were loyal. And I know it means something. And it, it means something to the people when you're loyal. That's what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. One of the greatest confessions in the Bible. Look at verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies. I love that Hebrew word. It actually is the word loyal love. It is of the Lord's loyal love that we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Jeremiah had been so boogered up. Boy, I mean, things were so tough for his nation, for his people, for his own life. He was upset, but he looked up to God and said, God, your loyal love is, you've always been there. You've got my back. I happen to read that passage in a different paraphrase. I think it's the message. And I want you to listen. Listen to this paraphrase of Lamentations 3. God's loyal love could not have run out. His merciful love could have never dried up. They're created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness? I'm sticking with God. I'll say it over and over again. I love that. I'm sticking with God because God has been loyal to me. He's a faithful God to me. I'm sticking with God. Loyal. Loyal to God and loyal to His Word. A hunter raised his rifle carefully to aim at a big black bear. As the hunter is about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke in a soft, smoothing voice. Hey, wait, isn't it better that we talk rather than shoot me? I mean, what do you want? Can't we negotiate? 
Lowering the rifle, the hunter replied, well, I want a fur coat. <laughs> Good, said the bear. That's negotiable, reasonable even. I only want a full stomach, so let's compromise. They sat down to negotiate, and after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been very successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had his fur coat. <laughs> and friend, that's what happens when we negotiate with the devil, and when we negotiate with sin, and when we negotiate with this world. Folks, be loyal to the Word of God. There's no negotiation with God. Stick with God. <laughs> I love that phrase. Number four, what did this church do? They endured patiently. They acted spiritually. They followed obediently. They stood loyally. And they endured patiently. Look at verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. They were a patient church. In the good times, they were there and grateful. In the bad times, they were still there. And I can tell you, thank God for this church. You have been there in the good times and uh, you've been there in some tough times, and I, I'm so excited. I, well, we've been having so much great accomplishment over there in that new building, and it really looks like we're going to be able to get in, the Lord willing, in November. I'm just so excited. I mean, you are going to be so thrilled. When you, and when the people are coming in, and at, at a, such a time as this, when everything's closing down, we are getting, we are just going bigger and better, because we will have a message to preach. And God said, you just watch. I will open doors for you in the toughest of times because when I open them, they are there. And I think our greatest example is that of Christ. You talk about somebody who was faithful, someone who endured. I love that passage in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. Now it's, remember now, in, in most of these major prophets, even minor prophets, there is a double intention to the words. And so it is, in fact, referring to something going on in their life. But it's so grandiose, the wording. It's so out of what's going on that it's obviously it's something more. And it's messianic. Verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, Pastor Isaiah was saying, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, his beard. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Now that's referring to Christ. You can see that, right? On the cross. Verse 7. For the Lord God will help me. I will not be confounded or confused. Because I have set my face like a flint. Like a rock. It's set in stone. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. I know that I shall not be ashamed. Yes, Jesus could have cut and run a long time ago, but he looked ahead and saw Tim, and he looked ahead and saw Sue, and he looked ahead and saw each of you, and I, he said, I am going to the cross. I will not veer from that. Yes, it would be easier for me not to, but I am going because I have a world to save. He set his face like a flint, and I can tell you there have been a few times in 40 years well, there have been a few smiters. <laughs> Notice what it says. Jesus said he gave his back to the smiters. And in ministry, you have to give your back to the smiters. 
You can't follow up everything that happens or said. You just have to take it. You just take it. You just get beat up and smitten. But like Jesus, you just keep on. There have been a few times when honestly, whew, I didn't know. And then I, in my mind's eye, I say, I'm doing this for Luke. I'm doing this for Anna and for all these children. I'm doing it. Whatever happens to me, so be it. But I'm doing it for my loved ones. I'm doing it for them. That's exa- I, thought, I couldn't help but think of that because it's been in my own life. That's exactly what Jesus said. Yes, I wanted to quit. Yes, I wanted to run. Yes, I wanted to get away from this pain and agony. Yes. But he took out my picture. I could, I could take you in my mind's eye right now to my office. And I could take you right there to a moment. Out loud, I said to God, God, I'm carrying on. I'm going. I am not quitting for a second. I'm doing this for Luke. I'm doing this for these children. I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for others. I'm doing it for you. So I don't like it. Well, I don't know. All I can say is because of that, God is just opening doors. And he always opened doors to the faithful. Look what it says in verse 8. Behold, because you have been faithful, I will open doors. And no man can shut it. That's what happens with people who are faithful. Doors open. You take Cal Ripken Jr., that great baseball player that was uh, 20-something seasons, never missed one game. He just showed up. He just kept showing up. People who show up make a difference. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul said, a great door and an effectual door is opened up to me. Now, it looked close, but the pastor said, hey, church, God told me to tell you that the door's not closed. Look, look closely, look more closely. And what seems like a closed door is an open door. I know this synagogue of Satan is attacking us. I know the stuff is happening all around us. But look, this is actually an open door. It's not a closed door. Don't close your doors. Keep them open. Keep them open for Jesus and keep them open for God and keep them open for those who follow us. Keep those doors open because what looks like All the trouble is actually an open door. That's the Philadelphian promise. That because of your faithfulness, I've opened the door of ministry. And if you'll just step through it, God will use you. How are we faithful when we are spiritual? How are we faithful when we are obedient to the word? How are we faithful when we are loyal to the cause and the name of Jesus? How are we faithful when we patiently endure and we just keep looking for open doors? I will tell you, there have been doors that seem closed and you just keep pushing. And one of these times that door opens. I close with this beautiful true story given to us from the Gideons International. It is entitled, A A Little Daughter's Faithfulness. A young Colombian girl received a New Testament, like the beautiful Gideons do. 
A young Colombian girl received a New Testament in her school. It was such a present and such a value to her, she began reading it faithfully. Until one day, her father caught her reading it and told her she could not read it anymore because it was full of lies and fantasies. But the girl secretly kept reading it until one day her father unexpectedly surprised her and found her with the New Testament and grabbed it from her hands, heartbroken and weeping. He took it and put it in his own pocket. The father then went off to work that day. There in that particular little town, it was a mining town, and her father was a mining engineer. Several hours into the day, the alarms went off in the community. There has been a cave-in, and her father was trapped in the mine. It took five days for the rescue workers to finally reach, reach the men, but it was too late. All 31 men died, including the father of this faithful little girl. But curiously, the workers found the father clutching something between his hands. When they looked further, they realized that it was that same New Testament that was his daughter's. And when they opened up the front cover, they read this note to my daughter. Keep reading this. It is true and right. I will see you one day in heaven. I love you. And then they turned to the back pages of that little New Testament where signed were the names of the other 30 workers. This little precious girl's faithfulness opened the door for an amazing work. Faithfulness opens doors. Thank God for the Philadelphian church. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I love you, God. God says, if you love me, you'll keep my word. It has been such a thrill to me to go through these passages on faithfulness. We'll do a couple more, I suspect. And then we trust that we will have gotten some ammunition to be a faithful church, faithful to Jesus, faithful to the word, faithful to our marriages, faithful to the calling God has in our life. Are we a faithful people?